Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Chad Sheeler, and he is a real estate investor local to the Indianapolis area. He began his real estate investing career after working over 17 years in the electronic payments industry, serving Indiana business owners. And today his team effectively manages over 400 clients on a regular basis. He's also a general partner on 139 units, a limited partner on over 900 units across the US and with new multiple projects on the horizon. So Chad, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thanks, Elaine. Doing great. Glad to be on here. So Chad, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah. I think like most people, you hear about it for a long time before I should take action and get started. I knew for a long time I wanted to get in real estate, but I spent probably three years just researching books and podcasts, just talking to people in my network of how to get started and looked at a lot of properties, little duplexes, single family homes, and finally bought a fourplex, made a lot of mistakes, but got started initially back in 2020. And then just got hooked, got the bug, bought that one, then bought a 15 unit about six months later, and then a 20 unit, and then a 25, and it just went from there. So for you, Chad, when you were buying these properties, were you self-managing all of it on your own? No. So for years, I wanted to buy a property and self-manage. My wife said, there's no way you're not going to do this by yourself. Like You're not going to go in the hood and <laughs> get rent. So the only way she let me get started was to buy a property and have professional management. So I had to do that out of the gate, right? Had to have my wife on my side here. So the fourplex, I used a professional company to manage it. It cost a lot of money, right? But it relieved my time out of that deal because I didn't want to be that active at that point in time. I had a, a day job already at that point in time. So when you were looking for professional management to help you and partner with you on managing your properties, what were the things that you looked for in a management company to help you manage what you needed to do to be able to perform and hit your metrics? Yeah. With my first property, I mean, I was kind of flying blind. I had no one to look for. I just went from off a referral that I got from somebody else. I thought, well, if they're good at communication, if they go to the property once in a while, then we're good. And I learned pretty quickly that not all of them are the best. It's like the trying to think how to say it. It's like none of them are perfect. You got to find the one that will like be most aligned with your interests. And what I learned was that certain companies just they are going to be great at like marketing and leasing up, and they don't always have your best interests in mind. So I learned a lot from that one company. I let them go about a year later and went to somebody else, which was much better. But a lot of lessons learned the first time. So what are some of the lessons that you learned that you can share with us? Yeah, I would say number one, when they're paid on percentage of your revenue collected, like wouldn't you think they'd be great at leasing up really quickly and like filling the units? Well, this company wasn't very good. I think we had a unit sit for like almost 90 days that wasn't leased up. And when you have only a four unit property, I mean, that vacancy, when one of your four units is down, that's a huge hit to your revenue. So right there, I realized that you need to go bigger, number one, not four units. That's number one thing. Number two is you got to find somebody who will lease it up really quickly, have great marketing, who will just be on top of that. That was number one thing I learned. And then number two thing was I actually went to go sell the property. And I learned that you got to read your contracts 
because in the contract, they wrote in there that if I wanted to sell a property, I had to use them as the broker. And I'm thinking, well, wait a second, my buddy who I bought the property through, I want to use him again for the sale. And they said, no, you can't do that. So I ended up, they're like, okay, if you sell a property on your own with your buddy, then we're going to immediately stop managing for you. Like immediately, I'm like, what's well, that's not fun at all. So I said, all right, buddy, you've got 30 days off market to sell this property. And the 30th day sold off market for what you wanted for it. So that's how I manage that process. <laughs> so when you're looking for the management, like when you're talking about the four units and then the ones that are the management company that let your property, one of the units sit for 90 days, was it because they weren't used to managing that size of a property? Does it matter if they're in a certain unit count range that they're used to managing, like under 50 units or over 50 units, their experience in that area? It matters a lot. So when you're interviewing people, you've got to ask them, what's your unit count on average right now? Are you managing single family homes? Are you managing like 80 unit properties? Because that will tell you like what their bread and butter is, right? And what's funny is this, this company, this PM company was actually mostly single family homes. So you think that going from just a single family house to a four unit wouldn't be that much difference. I think they were maybe spread too thin with their personnel. I don't think they really had the bandwidth to really keep the focus on that one property. But no, I mean, you would have thought they'd have been the right person for this size property, but lesson learned. So over time then, how have you started to work on the asset management side of things and build up that side of the business in conjunction with the property managers and building up your business? Yeah. So I think going through a couple of years of just a lot of painful experiences and just having some letdowns with the lease ops and actually more importantly, having companies that weren't as focused on the expense side as I felt they should be. That's what really prompted me to really dive a little bit deeper into really how does a professional company, how should they operate and what should we look for? So when I made this transition from that company A to company B, that's when I realized, you know what, what's normal here is weekly phone calls, weekly KPI reports every week, like dashboards between vacancy metrics, lease up summaries, conversion rates. We'll get through in a little bit, but I've realized that there's a lot more finer granular data you should be watching on a weekly basis to really make sure they're doing their job. And the best PM companies are ones that will deliver that to you every week, the reports. So you mentioned some of the different KPIs. Are there certain ones? You mentioned a couple of them, like the vacancy rates, conversion rates. What are some of the, I guess, percentages that actually make sense that you should be, as you start to manage it, is there a threshold that you need to pay more certain attention to specific KPIs versus some of the other ones that might be performing better than the others? Yeah, there's a few that we look at every week and it's going to depend by property. So things like how many leads are you getting and what's your conversion rate to actual signed leases? So that'll take a couple of things. I'm going to tell you like, do you have the right marketing in place? Is your marketing dollars going to the right spots? For example, maybe if you've got free marketing through Zillow and you've got a conversion rate of 50% there, but you're paying 500 bucks a month to rent.com and you've got like a 5% conversion rate there, well, maybe you should be paying money to rent.com. It's like giving you the best bang for your buck, right? So we look at that, like how many leases come in for how many leads that come in. And then we also look at how many days on market is each property sitting for between when the tenant moves out, to when they move back in, that will tell you as well, how good that company is leasing up things like renewal rates, like what's your lease trade out rates going from when they renew to what the rent bump is. We look at it's a lot of stuff. Rent will look like we go through every week. It's a weekly call. 
<laughs> so once you get these reports back, how do you track and how do you manage it? Like, what's your system from getting the data from what's provided to you into your own types of files so you can do your own analysis? Yeah. So until recently, we were just doing it manually. So we would just be getting the reports. We'd look at it manually and just make decisions week by week. But actually, about a month ago, we started implementing this new model called an asset management model. And where we have one per property and we have a tab in there to where we input all this data every week. So it gives us kind of running like graph to show what the trends for occupancy, what the trends are for average rents, what the trends are from lease conversions. So every week we have the data going in there, we can track it on this one model. And what about in terms of like your budgets and working and managing within the budgets that you have allocated for the month and for the year? What's your process of managing your budgets? Yeah. So number one lesson I learned is you probably don't want to give your PM company your original underwriting model as a budget because that's kind of like your conservative model and you want them to hit that or beat it, right? Like beat the NOI. And if you give them the model, then that's their number to hit and they may fall short, number one. Number two is you usually want to give them, I wouldn't say a stretch goal, but I mean, you want to give them like maybe a higher goal in revenue, lower goal in expenses and make them try and hit that. Doing budgets every quarter is definitely needed to reassess those. But we establish budgets with the PM company to make sure that we are aligned to hit our NOI number for our investors. At the end of the day, that's all that matters is NOI. So how you get there is from maximizing revenue, lowering expenses, keeping your insurance costs down, keeping things full. So just constant look at that. And also because most PM companies are paid on effective gross income, you've got to really keep your pulse on the expense management. That's where things can get out of hand quite a bit. You can have great months where you have super high revenues, but if you have super high expenses, like what good are you guys? Didn't do any good at all. So we implement a maximum threshold to where if an expense is over like a 500 bucks on a certain property, they have to get our approval on that. That way they can't just go make some decisions on their own for a thousand dollar stove repair. We have to, or our asset manager gets involved in that. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. What has been the most challenging area when you're managing on the expenses side to stay within the budgets or on a month-to-month basis as things are volatile and things are moving around? Which expense line items is the most challenging to manage? I wouldn't say it's utilities because... That's somewhat of a fixed cost unless you've got turns and leaving the lights on or the heat on between turns. But I would say it's really repairs and maintenance. That's where some PM companies can get kind of lazy to where they can just like call a vendor and just go dispatch somebody to look at something. We had it happen last week, actually, a repair bill come in for, I think, 200 bucks. And digging a little bit further, we realized they went to the property and literally turned a switch on and that was the fix. But we got billed 200 bucks for a chip charge. And if the PM company had done their job and dispatched their maintenance guy, 
we have paid a fraction of that just to assess the actual problem, not to dispatch some third-party vendor. So keep a close eye on this. I think a lot of operators don't keep a close eye on this. And this is right now today, this year is where I think it's even more important than ever to have a close eye on your operations. Using that as an example, where they came onto the property and they just turned on the light switch, how did you find out that was all they did on the property versus just taking whatever the property management had told you they had done? We actually just pulled up the invoice in Atfolio, which is the system that the PM company uses. And we literally pulled up the invoice. We looked at it, read the fine print notes at the very bottom, and it said there what they did. And I'm like, are you serious? This is insane. <laughs> so yeah, my director of operations pointed out last week to me, I couldn't believe I was floored. So taking that experience, so what does the conversation look like going forward with the property management company? Like after you found out that's what they did, how do you have that conversation with your property management company to make sure that they're operating to what your expectations are? We're still to have that call probably next week with them and let them know about that. But I would say it's going to be, hey, next time you dispatch one of your maintenance guys, not just a vendor. Let's double check what the actual cause is first before we send somebody out that's going to cost us to an hour trip charge. Probably the discussion. So more of hold them accountable. So also from an asset management standpoint, Chad, especially coming onto a new property when you're overtaking it, you're starting brand new, taking over the property and learning the ins and outs of what needs to be done, managing within your budget, your reserves and renovation costs and things like that. What are like some of the things that you need to set up in the early on stages to make sure that you're organized throughout the entire life cycle of the project? I think you have to have some sort of an asset management model, your budget saved. My big thing is because the number one goal is to make sure our investors get their returns and make sure their investment is safe, number one. But make sure you have the right model set up so you can track this month over month. Like if you don't really know where you're going, you're not going to get there. And I like data for myself to review that all the time. So we have these graphs and these charts to where we can track exactly how the property is doing today as our original plan. So we always know if we're on track or off track to make some better decisions. But yeah, having a model to where you can track this stuff all the time to have a date at your fingertips, that's really important now. So when you run into issues where you're overrunning an expense more than you budgeted, what are some strategies that you've been able to utilize to reduce them for the future months and to really manage within those budgets that you've allocated? Yeah. So we actually had a water bill that was pretty high on a property. So we had the PM company go in to the property and inspect all the toilets. And we inspect the ones that were like running constantly. We replaced those. In the future, we've got other plans to implement some water saving techniques with some other companies that can help install like low flow fixtures on the shower heads, the water faucets, stuff like that. We've had some vendor issues to where we've just like basically got different bids from the vendors. So like maybe landscaping or fertilizer companies. So I think it's great to also do an annual review of your contracts just to get them rebid, make everyone kind of fight for the business, right? In today's market, we were talking a little bit earlier about what's more challenging now in today's market. And we need to be more focused on the asset management, really managing to your expenses and improving your NOI overall. When you're looking at the income aspect of it as well, and you're looking to increase the rents, in your particular market, are you seeing it more challenging to achieve those rents that you've initially projected? Not for us. And we've been kind of blessed where, you know, the Midwest, we say the Midwest is best. <laughs> the Midwest has been a market 
to where we didn't see the 25% rent growth last year, like maybe other markets saw on the coast, but we also don't see the big dips and declines and maybe negative rent growth like some people are seeing this year. Uh, in fact, I forget it was in the Wall Street Journal what article it was, but Indianapolis is one of the top three markets right now this year, rain growth. We still have a positive rent growth over last year, which is huge. So we're still hitting our numbers around properties, which I'm very thankful for. In fact, we've got a property that's really blown out of the water, partly to us be more conservative on our underwriting the last few months to make sure we weren't really projecting super high rent growth percentages year over year. But overall, we're seeing nice growth there. I will say, though, this year, we're more or less concerned with overall revenue collection, more so in occupancy, keeping that high, more so than trying to get the highest rents. The turn costs are so high between turns. If you can eliminate those and keep people in that are good paying tenants, we much, much really prefer doing that. And what sets the properties that you manage apart from the other properties and keeping those tenants happy and retaining them versus having a lot of turnover? I think a couple of things. Number one, I think the time that you take to respond to work orders affects tenants, their ability to renew with you. I think the amount of the rent increase that you place on them at renewal will affect their ability to stay with you. I mean, if you have a great paying tenant, I mean, you want to keep them 10 years as long as possible. I have a property we're buying in a couple months here that's got an average tenure of for tenants of three and a half years, which is great. If we can keep that going, we're going to plan on doing that. But I think responding to work orders quickly is so important. They want to make sure that they feel cared about, responded to, keeping your property very safe and clean. So make sure you go there very regularly to make sure it's picked up, trash is not outside. People just want a clean, safe place to live. And then in terms of the property management company also, in the very beginning, when you're establishing and you're working with a new property manager, what are some of the other things that you need to evaluate and make sure that you guys are aligned in terms of how to operate the property, the communication aspect of it? What are some of the, I guess, best strategies that you've utilized to make sure that everybody's on the same page? And maybe what are some of the pitfalls that you've learned over the years? I'd say whenever I'm interviewing companies, I would say a couple of things to ask right away is, okay, how often do you have big calls with your owners? And if they say every week, then it's a good sign. If they say, well, maybe once a quarter, then maybe not a, the best fit for us. I ask them, okay, what type of reports do you give me? What do you give your owners? And I'll have them send me a sample of the reports. So I can look at it. And that'll tell me, okay, are they using an outdated system or are they using one of the current ones that's really user-friendly that we can get access to and look at these numbers and dive into reports and data and numbers and invoices, right? I will ask them, like you said originally about 10 minutes ago, what's your average unit count in your portfolio? Like, what's your bread and butter of property you guys manage? Is it fourplexes and duplexes or is it 80 units, 100 units plus? That'll tell me if the property I'm acquiring and maybe going to be given to them is going to be, if they'll be best suited to manage that property. And then finally, I asked them kind of, what's your team look like? What's your staff? I mean, if they're fully staffed with maintenance techs and people in-house, that tells me that we won't have to rely as much on vendors in that market to go out to. I bought properties in the past where I bought it in a market that was a great market, but the PM company had literally no contacts there. They had nobody in-house that could even go there. So then I was forced myself to go find my own vendors to my own properties, but I had to still pay a PM company for the work. So you've got to make sure that they've got a presence in the market. The type of property that you're acquiring is going to be one they can manage very well. And they'll be able to give you all the data you need with on the timelines, like every week or every couple of weeks. 
So what are some of the biggest mistakes when you're asset managing that you've seen other operators tend to fall into, especially in today's market when it's really a big focus on managing the assets itself? I haven't had communication with other operators to hear what their pitfalls are. But if I had to guess from my past experience, mistakes I've made, I think number one is just like not reviewing the numbers, not diving in the numbers every month when the reports come out, even not getting ahead of it every week when you see leading indicators like maybe the conversion rate going down or units staying on market longer than normal. If you wait too long until the report comes out, that's like you've burned two months there. Like you've waited too long. You got to know this the week of. But I think the number one miss, I'll give you two misses. I think two misses here is number one, not revisiting your contracts every year to have them rebid. That's probably miss number one. And miss number two is probably just not reviewing it all the time. Have somebody dedicated to asset management to go over all the numbers. There's mistakes you can find all the time if you're not hunting for them. When you're rebidding the contracts, how many other companies are you typically interviewing or you're getting different bids from? Typically, we just get two more. And then we'll go back to the original guy and we'll say, hey, we're keeping everybody honest here. We got to stay in business. It's a business here. You know how it goes. And I'll give them what the two quotes were. Say, hey, if you can match it, love to keep you on board. If not, I understand. But it is a business at the end of the day. These aren't my buddies, fortunately, that are doing these contracts. So I don't have a personal tie to them. But yeah, you got to get three bids. So Chad, what's next for you? Well, we just brought on a operations person here. So what's next for us is probably bring on an acquisitions person, in-house analyst. We're scaling here the business. I see what's happening in the next 12 months with potential buying opportunities. And we're going to seize those. We're going to do those. It's going to be great. <laughs> and how has real estate investing impacted your life, Chad? When you get like that revenue stream is passive which it won't happen right away. Anyone who says that real estate is like a quick game is just totally lying. It takes time. Time is the biggest multiple here. But once that train starts rolling and you have passive income, I mean, it just gives you a greater sense of like just peace and happiness. And you just have more flexibility with your life. And I think it's amazing. And if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? I think I wish I would have started five years ago before I started and just hired a mentor the day one. I hired one last year, but that was, I mean, everyone has their own progression that they go through. I mean, I think learning lessons and mistakes is the best tuition you can ever buy. I wouldn't teach you think about how I did it, but I think going back day one, I would have probably bought a bigger deal. I would have probably raised money faster, a couple of different things there. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I think just like get your first deal. I think too many people like want to do it. They don't take action and get to get their first deal. Like we've never heard of a guy who or guy or gal who buys one deal and starts or stops. I mean, no one does. Like you get one deal, then you're hooked, right? So it's got to get started by the first deal. So Chad, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing in this space? Yeah, our website is focusedcapital.com. I'm also on LinkedIn quite a bit. And then my email is chad at focusedcapital.com. Awesome. Chad, thank you so much for all of your time today. That was great. Yeah. Thanks so much. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavis Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, 
Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.